So you're walking down the street in Hollywood and you discover a box of letters between the Star Trek producers. A treasure trove of insider information. What would you do? Well, I found that box. And he shared it with me, John Kramer. I shared it with Kramer. So that we could share it with the universe. Nomad, the perfect Star Trek podcast. Hello and welcome to Nomad, the perfect Star Trek podcast, where we know things about Star Trek that you don't. And why is that? Because we have all the letters, emails, and correspondence straight from the desks of the Star Trek producers. My name is David Pompey, and here with me, as always, is my good friend, Kramer. Hello, David. I am so happy to see that you're still alive and that uh, California had been totally burned to ashes. <laughs> Bloody. It's bad there, isn't it? I was hanging out at Starfleet Command, and I had to get out of there. <laughs> Because the California wildfires, yeah, buddy, yeah, and and it's hot. The heat wave is just so. I got out of there. I'm I'm podcasting today from Beta Z. I'm hanging out on Beta Z trying to find out what a sacred reek is. <laughs> no one will tell me a but, sacred uh, reek. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, dude, what what's been happening with you since uh, we last since our last show? Um, what have I been doing? Um, <laughs> that much. I cancel. Okay, <laughs> so I put it out of my mind because I'm so upset. <laughs> I had to cancel my trip to Europe. I was going to go to oh. Amsterdam and Scotland in August. Wow! I planned this thing months ago, and I thought, okay, the vaccine—you know, the vaccine's coming out. People are going to get vaccinated. Oh. Everything will be okay. Wrong. Too bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to get into this, but. Uh, uh, I'm really unhappy that my trip, I had to cancel it because I, I cannot afford to get sick in, in, uh, in Amsterdam or uh, no, you or no. get quarantined and everything. That's so. too bad. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that. Well, well, buddy, maybe today's show will brighten things up for you. It is already. Oh, well, that's just great because we've got some uh, excellent show coming up. Uh, and now's the perfect time after that sad news about you having to cancel your trip. Uh-huh. Uh, to Europe, that and Amsterdam is so great. By yeah, the way. never been. There. Um, Looking forward to oh, it. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, so today on the show, uh, we're going to be reading a letter from Michael Piller uh, regarding his thoughts on the uh, Voyager episode "Once Upon a Time." Uh, we've got errors from last week's show. Oh. I know we've got errors, so we have to sort that out because we gave the people some wrong information, and uh, we've got. Uh, uh, a feature from you, uh, our second installment of Plumbing Soup for the Federation Soul. That's right. It's coming up. Now, is it is it Plumbing or Plomy? Do I look like a Vulcan? I don't know. <laughs> you are much better with the languages. You speak a little Klingon. And I... I I do. I do. Back in the day, I'm, I'm sweating so hard. I have to wipe this off. Uh, back in the day, I uh, had that book, Conversational Klingon. Uh-huh. I wonder if you could still find a copy of that. I'll and, bet you can. And I had um, a, the Klink, Star Trek Klingon game mm. uh, where the characters in the game, it's a role-playing game, and you right. have to respond to them, but they only speak Klingon. Oh. So a little Klingon to English dictionary came with it. Okay. So to effectively play the game, you had to learn some Klingon phrases. And now that I've said that, I'm trying to think of some, and I I, I can't really remember any. Well, uh, here's but, a here's a sad fact. Um, 
there are more people now that speak Klingon than speak native of some Native American languages like Apache. They're dying languages. Oh no! It's, I mean, you know, I'm 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 from uh, of Irish ancestry, and the same thing happened in Ireland, where they the British forced them to stop speaking Gaelic, and to, but that's why now in Ireland they do everything in English and Gaelic because they're trying to revitalize the language. But, so a so fake, more, <laughs> a made up language is for spoken, a TV show, right? Is spoken by more people, more now, than and, real indigenous languages. Yeah. They're, wow, that's you're just full of great news today, aren't you, Kramer? <laughs> Not if you're Native American. If you're a Klingon, no. yes, I guess. If you're a Klingon, yes, Michael. Somewhere, Michael Dorn is just thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. So, uh, wait. I think we got a break coming up. I think we have to take a break here. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, wait. How how much time? Yeah, we're past the five minute mark. We got to take a break, buddy. Okay. We'll be right back after this. Okay, and we're back, and it's time for... Errors. Error, 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 examine. Yeah. Yeah, we got some errors. And that sound effect. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I think it was meant to be annoying, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, I think it was. If it wasn't so, annoying, uh... you wouldn't pay attention. All right, we, we, we try to be the perfect Star Trek podcast, so we can't make these kinds of errors. And yet, I made the stupidest blunder, and I should have known this as a, as a lifelong Star Trek fan. You said Belana Torres was half Klingon. I, I go, oh, no, she's a quarter Klingon. You were right. I she's right. half okay. Klingon. Okay. So you're right. I have to take this W. I was wrong. In this case, W doesn't mean win. It means wrong. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Balana Torres is, in fact, half Klingon. Mm -hmm. Now, the next one, uh, the next error, you've got to own this one. I'm going to weasel out of it. Uh, are you? Yeah. How are you going to weasel out okay, of it? You, well, said, yeah. you, you said Tuvok and the hologram woman in Alter Ego that they were playing Vulcan chess. Right. I blame Harry Kim for that. Because Harry Kim called it Vulcan chess. Oh. And it got stuck in my head. And Tuvok corrected him, though, and said, this is to, this is to chess as chess is to tic-tac-toe, something like that, you know. Right. You know. It's actually called Kaito. Kaito, yes. And and I should actually take a W on that because I called it Kauto. Mm. It's Kaito. But, no, you can't weasel out with the Harry <laughs> Kim excuse because Tuvok corrected you in the episode. He did. So no, uh, so that's 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 the error. Now I do get to weasel out of one error. Error, error, error. Examine. Um, I do get to weasel out of one error because we were describing what the no prize looks like, which you get awarded if you can find an error that we didn't find, uh, and uh, we will put your name up and. Uh, you you'll get no. Uh, we'll put your picture up, and you'll get a, a no prize. But to see the picture, you'll have to like go to our website, or or pick us up on YouTube, or any of the many uh, uh, visual apparatus you might have, because we're fully accessible on everything. And if we're not, we will be soon, because yeah. we're, we're still kind of new. Um, but you, uh, uh, I. I you asked to just me to describe what it looked like, what the no prize looked like, and I said it was a gold cup. 
Mm -hmm. And then the graphic for the Gold Cup was lost. Right. Oh, that's why. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it changed into a certificate that says no prize. So I wasn't technically wrong. At the time I said it was a Gold Cup, it was a Gold Cup. Blame the editors. The, uh, the interns. The interns. Okay. Uh, Todd and Joey. <laughs> they screwed it up and lost the Gold Cup. So technically I wasn't wrong about that. Okay. Um, so there's still no no prize awarded. But we got a letter this week, David. We do have a letter. Okay, that's uh, a good one. It, it's it's a good one. Uh, it's from the desk of Michael Pillar, and it's to Brandon Braga. Uh, and once, and once again, Rick for Berman. people just joining us, Michael Pillar was a producer. At this point in time, he is his semi-left Star Trek, and he's a creative consultant. So the producers are sending him scripts and stuff and getting his feedback on it. So the, this letter is his feedback on uh, this episode. Yes, and this one's dated 1998. So I don't know if he, is he still working on Insurrection now, uh, or ha has that already oh, uh, been put in the can? I'm not sure. But he was still working... Uh, in yeah. the Star Trek yeah. universe. Yeah. He just wasn't working on Voyager per se. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think we'd speculated that they may have kept him on as a creative consultant just to keep him on the payroll. Um, maybe. Because it doesn't, a lot of these letters, they don't seem like they were really uh, following any of his ideas. No, they kind of ignore what he says, especially in this one, it seems. Uh, but this one's dated May 29th, 1998, and it's for the episode Once Upon a Time. And it's a first draft story, or or, by, or when he read it, uh, when when Pillar read it, it was a first draft by uh, Michael Taylor, and uh, apparently that draft is dated May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight. So he wrote this letter two days later. Right. All right, let's get into it. Uh, it starts out with, when I pitched Gene Roddenberry the story of the bonding, Ron Moore's spec script, and my first show. Gene leaned across the desk and said, we will not do any stories on this series about children mourning the death of their parents. Death is an accepted part of life in the 24th century. Human children have learned to cope with problems like that. And he sent me away. That's yeah. pretty profound. Yeah, I find this fascinating because I've heard the story told from Ronald D. Moore's point of view, too. So that was his the first episode he pitched to uh, Star Trek. And uh, and he, I mean, he's gone on to just do amazing things. He became a producer on, on Trek, and then they, they forced him out on Voyager, and then he went off and created Battlestar Galactica, which was a gigantic success. And uh, also... Uh, what is it? Um, um, the Scottish show that's on right, Outlander, uh, oh. which is you know it's nominated for Emmys and stuff, and you know but hugely successful. Uh, and he's got a show on Apple now too for all mankind. So he's well. I wonder. Big we it would be worth looking into to find out why they forced him out on Voyager. We should talk about that one day. Oh, he yeah. There's a lot about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let we should get into that. We should do a show about that. Um, let's get into paragraph two right now, mm -hmm. uh, where he says, uh, Michael Pillar says, now I needed that script real bad, and I was not willing to throw away the, a good idea. At the same time, Gene had given me orders. I was forced to find a new and original way to deal with death for the Star Trek universe. The answer, 
Human children in the 21st century were taught not to fear death and not to mourn the loss of loved ones. But according to the wise and empathetic counselor Troy, the boy in our society had to learn to face the inner emotions that our society had buffered for so long. Gene was happy, and in fact, it made for a better story. So just to clarify, he's talking about pitching a story during Next Generation. Right. And I believe it was the one, uh, we, we can look this up, uh, where the kid thinks he's Data because he thinks it was his fault that his parents were killed. Right. So he wants to become an android to suppress his emotions. Right. Well, that's uh, what's interesting is uh, I've heard Ronald D. Moore's take on this too. And he was, he was very frustrated by Roddenberry telling him, because they were putting him in a box, you know, that you, you know, people don't feel, you know, they don't grieve and stuff. But then he, he kind of, he agrees with uh, what uh, Mike, Michael Piller is saying, though, that it forced him to really dig deep and come up with a solution, and it turned out to be pretty amazing. Uh, well, I'll tell you, when I turn on a sci-fi show, the last thing I want to see is some kid mourning his dead parents. Not interesting. The reason I turn on the sci-fi show is to escape. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> well, this is again why I, you know, I, I believe Star Trek still remains as popular as it, as it is because it's it's not a dystopian future. Ninety percent of the of the science fiction films that come out are all about a dystopian future, and Star Trek is the is the one that said, "Well, what if we got things right?" Yeah. And, or um, yeah, or as right as we that, could. Is that so bad to kind of think? You know, no, it's geez, great, right. and you would think that's what it would lead to. Yeah. All right. Paragraph three says this story deals with similar themes, and although and although Gene is not here, I feel some discomfort in building a story around helping a child deal with the news of her mother's death. I feel that discomfort not just from a Roddenberry point of view but by the rather naive approach that Neelix uses to try to prepare a kid for a parent's death through a sword and sorcery holodeck game. It's not that it isn't interesting, because I think it is, but it still makes me uncomfortable as a viewer and a parent watching this child play in the forest while I know that her mother is very possibly dead. I was absolutely disturbed by it. Yeah. It bothered me to no end, and it also made for a predictable ending. Because now that you've taken this kid through this fantasy land in, 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 in you know, forest fantasy land, you can't kill off the parent now. So I know absolutely she's going to live. So you, you tipped your hand, you pooched the story, and we spent fucking 20 minutes in some kid's fairy tale. Yeah, <laughs> I was not wild about this episode. No, it, no, uh, it's it's uh, <clears throat> got it. It's I mean, this is something we're going to talk about in the next episode. Is about budgeting. You know, you've learned some things about that. And watching this episode and this uh, creation they did on the holodeck, this uh, fairy fairy tale world and stuff, they put a lot of money into this episode. It you sure know, looks like it. They had the build. They had the all these costumes. These are really unique costumes for the uh, characters in the fairy tale, and the uh, uh, you know they've got a pond. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll say this for the actors. Once you build, spend the money on these costumes, you know your part's going to recur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we've got to take a break. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back. All right. Okay, and we're back. Yes, we are, John. Let's let's get we'll go ahead and get into the next part of the letter because this letter is actually pretty long. It's it a is. Two-pager. Um, so uh, we're into the next part, and he says, "I also think you've created an extraordinarily expensive holodeck fantasy yeah, yeah. involving a character we've rarely seen. To spend so much time with this little girl in this fantasy world seems away from our franchise." I agree. I think we just spoke on that. I always wonder about how well this goes over with the cast, too, when they see the script. And they oh. realize that this kid is getting half the air. <laughs> uh, I, um, I'm sure they were not happy, especially if you're a character who's not getting a whole lot of screen time from right. episode to episode, like Kess yeah. or well, Kess Harry is, Kim. Yeah, Kess is gone well, at this point. Well, yeah, I guess she is going at this they, point. They have like one yeah. interaction between her. Right. And They've her. already got seven. So thank you for correcting that. We don't have to do an error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, he goes on to say, we also never get to see her with her mother before the mother is hurt. So we're asked to make emotional connections based on knowledge of previous episodes. When this little girl was a different actress or to intellectually process the relationship that all children have with their mothers. Yeah. You know, and I didn't notice that at first, but something was wrong. When I saw them together at the end, something felt off. And I'll bet you that's what it was. Uh, but while we're on the subject of her as an actress, Naomi Wildman is the character we're talking about. Her real name is Scarlett, Scarlett Palmers. Uh, she's really good on the show. She, she is. She's an excellent actor, um, and she's really good in this part. Yeah, there's, not, yeah, there's nothing worse than a bad uh, child actor in the show. She we'll shows some emotional down. range yeah. that belies her age, and I was really impressed with her performance. And, and, and I know a lot of people don't like kids on sci-fi shows, but I like her. I like Naomi Wildman, yeah. and, and I like the relationship that her and Seven build. Uh, and this is the episode where she she goes, oh, that Borg woman, yeah, that yeah. Borg woman, she looked at me. She's afraid of her. Uh, and then they become fast friends, which which I think is wonderful. Um, okay, we're down to the last couple paragraphs. Uh, he goes on to say, I also find it uncomfortable for Janeway to let this kid be manipulated by Neelix after she finds out what's going on. At the same time, I'm not sure that it's logical that anyone would go to the kid with news until they had a clear status of the mother's condition. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is where it gets tricky because Neelix keeps he pulls out the fact that he's the kid's godfather. Yes. And so at that point, does the captain really have the right to, I mean, it's her ship, she can do whatever she wants, but the child's mother chose Neelix you know, as Godfather, as Godfather, you know, which in the traditional sense means if anything happens to me, this is who I want to raise my. This kid. is my guardian. And so yes. does she really have the right to step in there? No, she yeah. doesn't. No, the, the state. I, I don't think the state can tell you how to raise your child unless you unless you're abusing the kid, and that's not abuse. Right. They're they're trying to protect. Neelix is trying to protect the child exactly. from information that they don't have yet. We don't know she's dead yet. 
And he's, and as we learned later in the episode, he's been through loss. You know, his whole yeah. family and has died. And he knows what it's so right. he, he has this connection that Jane Wade. He's doesn't. had to live with it exactly, and we we find that emotional level, and 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 and, and again, it's it's a deep emotional level, but that's not the kind of emotion I'm looking for when I turn on a sci-fi show, especially yeah. Trek. Um, I, I don't want to see, I don't want the possibility raised of a small child losing their parent. Yeah. I just don't. Um, so I, uh, he goes on to say in conclusion, he doesn't say in conclusion, I'm saying in conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is I find this show uncomfortable to watch in my mind. I'm not sure what I can tell you to do to help me, except to address some of the more obvious things that I've mentioned here. Um, I wonder if in the original draft, does she die? Or in one of the iterations of the story? It sure sounds like it. Yes. And then they decided, okay, we're not going to be able to let her die because Michael and Jean uh, said no. Well, Even Gene, though Gene's Gene's passed no longer, away. Right. Right. But his, the spirit of Gene Roddenberry, which if they stick to the spirit of Gene Roddenberry with any Star Trek franchise, they can never go wrong. I think, too, the, the reason they wouldn't let her die is the, I don't think the fans would have liked it. No. Yeah. I, I'm, I, no. They, I, I'm not sure they would have. It's just kind of a dumb way for her to die, too. You know, they drag it out like that. There's no purpose to it. It's just, you know. On a mission, things go kind of wrong, and she's dead. Except it's an accident. Tuvok yeah. and, and Paris are okay because they're in the main, you know, right. they're big names. Um, so they, they keep reassuring us throughout the episode that she's still alive. But Neelix and the crew don't know that. And and obviously, once Naomi Wildman uh, figures out something's wrong because she wanders up to the bridge, uh, she, she, she hears what's happening, and now she thinks, uh-oh, my mother might be gone. So... Uh, I think we have to take a quick break I here and then we we'll do. come back for fan and critical reactions. Stay with us. <laughs> and we're back. Okay, we are on a very interesting subject and uh, we have a second letter from Michael Pillar on this same subject we discussed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's another two and a half pages. It's a little too long to read in this episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to split this into two episodes. Um, this letter is about a first story draft. So Kramer, you're going to read the second letter in next week's show. And what's the second letter? The second letter is from June 30th, 1998, one month later. And it's a, about a, a it, now it's, it's at the point where it's a first draft teleplay. So they uh -huh. have moved on with this, but clearly this is a long letter. And uh, Michael Pillar is clearly having a lot of problems with this episode. So, I mean, in the few, just a few letters that we've seen before, this this is really hitting a nerve with him. Okay, we're going to hear that next week. I'd like to do it today. We just don't have time, um, unfortunately. So, all right, we've got our feature, and here's the music. It's Plumic Soup for the Federation Soul. Kramer, you have the con, my friend. Thank you, David. Uh, this uh, week's uh, episode of Plumbing Soup is called The Ocampan and the Diplomat. Now, far in the future and way off in the Delta Quadrant, a young Federation diplomat fell in love with a beautiful and kind Ocampan woman named Maze. 
The diplomat had been assigned to the Federation's new embassy in Ocampa, but only for a few short months. Soon, he would have to leave, unable to return for several years. Now, Mays loved the diplomat and would have left her world with him, but knowing how short-lived Ocampans were, living no more than 10 years, the diplomat saw only tragedy in their future, as Mays would grow older while he stayed young. Three years later, the diplomat returned to Ocampa to find that Mays, now middle-aged, was more beautiful than ever and had never chosen a mate in the years since he had been gone. Their love was rekindled, but after a few short weeks, the diplomat was called to a new posting. Again, fearing what age would do to Mays, he chose not to bring her with him, but instead left her to grow old alone. After four years had passed, curious to know if his lost love had passed away, the diplomat returned to Acampa to find that Mays was still alive, but fully in the grasp of old age. Weeping with joy, the diplomat reached out to take the elderly Ocampan into his arms, or he would have if Mays hadn't struck him in the stomach and told him what an asshole he was. But to be fair, she was only 10 years old when she'd finally figured that out. The end. Well, that's that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Kramer, we we never talked about that, your pin. What, what's, oh. what's, what's your pin this well, week? Well, what do you think it is? What's it look like? It looks like a, a Star Trek pin. It is a Star it's, Trek. It's, it's, it's uh, Enterprise. But one it's of the got movies. a little cross um, on it, so it's Star. It's got it's, a little cross. Uh, uh, wait, it's uh, of the one. It's the Enterprise E crew. No, it's Starfleet. It's uh, Starfleet Medical. See, there's oh, a little cross it there. Is there's a little cross? Yeah. Starfleet. Do you know? I never noticed Starfleet Medical had a cross on their pins. Well, they change it all that stuff all the time. But it's like in the original, I never noticed it. on the original show. They had uh, you know the sciences had one little logo on it, and command had another, mm-hmm. and medical had another. Wow, I never knew. So come back next week, and we will be reading the second letter regarding the teleplay uh, for Once Upon a Time. Uh, don't forget to check us out uh, on YouTube on our website. Which is what's the website, Kramer? Uh, uh, Nomad, the uh, perfect Star Trek podcast dot com. Excellent, <laughs> and our Twitter handle and all that social media stuff should be scrolling across the screen. Maybe, maybe we should get the interns. What's your intern's name again? My intern's name is Eddie. Okay, mine is uh, Toby or something. Uh huh. Um, we, maybe we should get them to scroll the credits across while we're talking rather than just a black screen. I think that, I think that might would work like very that. nicely. I could, uh, you think that, I could that would my, be cool? I could get Eddie to do that. All right, let, let's do that. Okay, we'll see you next week, folks. Uh, you signing off? What are you going to say? Kramer out. Kapla. <laughs> okay, I got one in. <laughs> you did. You showed off your Klingon. <laughs> <laughs>